Okay. Well, welcome everyone. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining the webinar today. We're going to be talking about process control strategies for activated sludge optimization. I'm Shannon Miller and I'll be moderating today. I'm the MARCOM coordinator for the municipal segment here at YSI. Uh, here at YSI, we've been designing and manufacturing sensors, instruments, and solutions for water quality monitoring for over 70 years now. Uh, joining me today are Ben Barker and Steve Wartendike. Ben provides application support and conducts technical trainings. And Steve is a regional sales man manager for the central United States. Uh, between them, they have over 35 years of combined experience with online analytical instrumentation. So they really know their stuff. Um, and we also have Laura St. Pierre, YSI product manager on the line to help out with any questions if needed. Uh, just an important note, if you are interested in earning CEUs for this webinar, there is a new requirement in 2021 and you'll need to pass a three question multiple choice quiz to earn a certificate. Uh, so pay attention and keep an eye on your inbox for a post webinar email with more information on that. Um, just a couple of quick things before we get started. We are presenting the webinar remotely from our homes, so please bear with us if we experience any audio issues. We've set aside some time for a Q&A at the end, so feel free to ask questions as we go along so you don't forget them. Just use the sidebar. And also please note that the webinar is being recorded and the recording should be available to watch a few days after the webinar. Um, and with that, we'll go ahead and kick this off and I'll turn it over to Steve. Okay, can we see everything all right? Yes. Okay, great. Um, hi, everyone. I'm uh, Steve Wartendike, and uh, we're going to get started now. Right. So um, uh, today we're going to be talking about activated sludge optimiz optimization. And uh, that really helps plants achieve two primary objectives. We're looking to optimize the energy consumption of that whole activated sludge process while maximizing the uh, quality of the effluent. And to that end, we're going to be uh, discussing the following today. We're going to give you a brief introduction on activated sludge. We're going to talk a little bit about the factors that affect solids inventory. And then uh, we're gonna go into some solids inventory control strategies. And then lastly, we're gonna look at the instrumentation that's required to make all this work. So, um, uh, part one, the introduction to activated sludge. So let's start off by defining uh, activated sludge. And activated sludge is um, a biologically active process that relies on this development of a mixed culture of microorganisms um, to metabolize the pollutants in wastewater. It occurs just after primary treatment, so it's uh, considered a secondary treatment process. In fact, most plants, when you talk about primary, secondary, and tertiary treatment, the activated sludge process is pretty much that secondary treatment process. Um, immediately following uh, the activated sludge tanks are usually secondary clarifiers, and that's where you're kind of uh, where all that biological solids are uh, separated from the treated water. Um, activated sludge uh, biologically removes organic matter and nutrients and other contaminants from the water, and um, uh, and then all these. Uh, BNR strategies that we're going to talk about today are types of that activated sludge process. So this slide um, kind of gives an overview of the general activated sludge process in a treatment plant. We're going to go into some more details on this later, but um, to kind of uh, as an overview, we're looking at what's leaving the primary clarifiers, and that's the primary effluent from those clarifiers into the activated sludge tanks. Um, there's a clarifier, um, and that's going off to uh, the secondary effluent, um, uh, either to um, uh, disinfection or might go into a tertiary process or whatever. And then, um, and then there's the uh, return and the waste activated sludge lines. 
So there are three main zones or stages of an activated sludge process. And each of them are uh, created um, with a different environment to encourage the growth of different bacteria for a specific process. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about um, those three stages a little bit, uh, the aerobic, the anoxic, and the anaerobic. So the uh, aerobic process uh, is um, the part of the process that's oxygen rich. This is where uh, you've got your, uh, your blowers, your diffusers, uh, uh, there's a high oxygen content in there. And um, in this area, um, we're creating this oxygen-rich environment so that nitrifying bacteria can grow. Um, there's uh, two types of bacteria in this process. There's, uh, and it's pretty much as following that conversion, that nitrification process. So we're converting the ammonium into nitrite and then we're converting the nitrite into nitrate. Um, in uh, uh, most of these cases, there's uh, uh, kind of two processes that are happening. It's the, that or, all of that organic matter that's kind of working its way in the aerobic zone, that's getting converted into inorganic matter. And then there's this bacterial decomposition going on. And, um, and, there is the actual nitrification process, is when you're taking that ammonium and converting it uh, through stages into, into nitrate. So um, in most DNR configurations, the aerobic zones follow the anoxic or anaerobic zone. And this is because uh, this nitrifying bacteria doesn't actively require a carbon source. What they really need is the oxygen, whereas the anoxic and the anaerobic zones do often require carbon. Um, aeration is, uh, is in this portion. There's diffusers going on, so there's uh, a lot of mixing going on here. So the system keeps fairly well mixed and fairly well oxygenated uh, to allow this process to, to complete. So now we kind of move into the anoxic zone, and that's uh, uh, the conditions here are very low or zero dissolved oxygen, and there's a lot of nitrate present. So the goal of this zone is we're providing this low oxygen environment um, so that the denitrifying bacteria can convert all of that nitrate into nitrogen gas and thereby removing the, um, the nutrients uh, from the wastewater. Um, this gas uh, escapes by a process that's called bubbling out of the water and it's into the, into the atmosphere. Um, the anoxic zone usually comes before because as we mentioned, it does require that carbon source <coughs> and it takes advantage of this incoming BOD load uh, that it needs uh, uh, to, to make this conversion possible. It's also important to note that in this process, because there's not a lot of aeration going on, um, you generally need some way to mix it. And there's a lot of different ways to do this. Uh, sometimes you might put in mechanical mixers. Sometimes there might be big bubble mixing systems, or I've seen systems that, you know, that are, are flexible where an anoxic zone might one, you know, part of the year become an aerobic zone where they just hit the, hit the diffusers every so often. But, um, uh, in this process, you, need, you do need to have some sort of mixing to make sure everything just doesn't settle right to the, to the bottom of the tank. Finally, uh, there's the anaerobic zone, and this is um, uh, no oxygen and no nitrate. Um, and what's going on here, we're not going to go into a lot of this uh, during this presentation, but what's going on here is the, the phosphorus removal part of the system. Uh, there's specific bacteria. Uh, phosphorus accumulating organisms that are that are part of this process, and we have a lot of a lot of in detailed information on our web that you can look at in order to get a really good uh, understanding of, of this part of the process. Uh, but for now, we're just going to kind of focus on the activated sludge tanks uh, and the um, uh, uh, and that inventory process. All right, so. How does all of this relate to the solids inventory? 
The activated sludge systems rely on the growth and the flocculation of these biologically active solids for the bugs to grow. And we talked about the conditions for the different um, the different parts of the uh, um, process. But um, uh, uh, additionally, the solids inventory is a measure of the total amount of biologically active solids within the system. Um, and maintain a correct or consistent inventory is a, is a huge factor for a successful activated sludge system. So finally, we're going to go into those factors affecting the solids inventory. So uh, generally, we're going to look at quantity and quality. Um, so in the solids inventory, uh, we talked about the, the primary sections, the primary effluent, the activated sludge tanks, the clarifiers, and those return and waste lines. There's also some parameters that we're going to discuss a little bit, and that is um, mixed liquor suspended solids, uh, the F to M ratio, food to microorganism ratio, you might hear it as food to mass ratio. It's the same thing. It's the mass of microorganisms. And then uh, solids, re solids retention time, or SRT, and the SVI, which is uh, basically that sludge settleability. So primary effluent. Um, so the uh, first factor affecting the uh, kind of the quantity of the solids in our process is the uh, plant influence flow and the loading um, uh, coming from the primary clarifiers. Um, so uh, in this case, it would be, uh, and it's called the primary effluent because it's coming that, from that primary part of the plant into the secondary part of the plant. And you're going to have uh, a varying degree of solids and BOD loading uh, from that effluent, depending on the conditions. Um, it's uh, typically a positive correlation, meaning kind of the more flow we get, the higher the BOD loading will be. And processes like, um, you know, adjustment, adjustment of the return, the waste can be used to kind of um, uh, trim that uh, flow or loading that's coming in. Next, um, we're talking about the activated sludge tanks. Uh, this is the heart of the activated sludge process. This is where um, all of those uh, biological processes are occurring. Um, and generally, we're looking for that uh, the solids or the uh, mixed liquor suspended solids um, in this section of the tank or of the process. Finally, there's a clarifier, um, and uh, this part we are settling out the activated sludge, either kind of for uh, feeding into the process or wasting out of the process. Uh, these clarifiers um, are really used to separate the solids via gravity separation. So your process water is entering the center of the clarifier, solids are falling to the bottom, a blanket is usually um, kept at the bottom of the tank to maintain some inventory so you've got something to control your process with. And then you're removing solids from the clarifier. There's a rake that comes by and it's slowly rotating to take up the solids. Um, generally, what you like to see is you like to see a sludge height of somewhere to one to three feet. Uh, if it gets too high, there's a risk that solids can escape into the effluent, which we don't want. And then, um, and then the sludge height if it's too low, we might not have enough to uh, return when we uh, see that the load is low and we need that activated sludge to keep the process going. There are some nice uh, graphics for you as the process goes along. So, uh, then um, we're looking at the return activated sludge and the waste activated sludge. And these can be adjusted based off of flow or loading. Um, um, and you're gonna see throughout the rest of the presentation how this influent flow to the activated sludge can be controlled through wasting or returning the activated sludge from the clarifier. 
Uh, generally, you might have a uh, flow meter and a uh, solids probe on this. So the return is controlling the biomass returning to the aeration basin, and, it, and it's actually reseeding the wastewater entering the basins with bacteria. It's making sure that you've got enough bacteria, um, the DOD is coming in, and your population is increasing uh, to take care of your processes. Uh, finally, there's the waste activated sludge, and that's kind of controlling that total biomass within the treatment process. So um, uh, in this section, uh, if you have a high waste activated sludge, you really risk washing out the aeration basins of any bacteria and, and jeopardizing your entire system. And if you are not wasting enough, you could overload the whole thing with solids. You're getting a high blanket in the clarifier, you've got high loading in the aeration basins, and it tends to kind of um, also mess things up. So maintaining that uh, ratio of waste to, uh, to the return is critical. So the parameters we're gonna talk about is um, uh, basically uh, the mixed liquor suspended solids um, and uh, generally measured with total suspended solids probes um, uh, or in the lab. Um, and we're talking about how many total solids do we have in the activated flood system. There's the, the uh, um, food to microorganism ratio. Uh, your food is your BOD, and your microorganisms are your um, uh, mixed liquor volatile suspended solids. Um, and basically, do we have the right amount of bugs that are um, in our incoming food? Um, Uh, then we've got um, SRT, uh, um, solids retention time or sludge retention time, um, and uh, this is are we allowing enough time for the bugs to be produced to maintain their population? Um, and then finally, we have the uh, uh, fedability, so the sludge volume index, which is um, is our sludge in good condition? Uh, how well does it settle? Basically, those parameters. So, mixed liquor suspended solids. How much total suspended solids do we have in our system? Um, we're using a suspended solids probe to measure it, and it's uh, it's usually related or correlated to uh, the volatile suspended solids, which is basically the bacterial portion of it. Um, the uh, high MLSS, uh, you got a higher treatment cap uh, capacity, so you can handle a lot more loads coming into the plant if you have a, a high solids, um, but you have a higher oxygen demand on the system, so you're spending a lot more energy um, to keep the plant um, uh, running within parameters. A low mixed liquor, and you've got this lower demand, but you might not have enough bugs to uh, properly treat your um, your process. So the uh, food to microorganism ratio, uh, we talked about food is the BOD, microorganisms is the um, uh, mixed liquor volatile suspended solids. Uh, usually um, you're performing that test um, in a lab, you're uh, taking your mixed liquor, suspended solids, or your solid, and then you're igniting it at a higher temperature, 550 degrees C for 30 minutes, and you're comparing that to what my total solids are versus before and after that process. Um, and really, what it is, it's uh, do we have the right amount of bugs in the system for our incoming food? Um, so. Uh, a high one, as with, we are, main, if you have a high FM ratio, you're, you are maintaining enough food for the bacteria, but if it's too high, um, the bacteria will perform this bad flock um, and, and you'll get some squirrely settling. Um, if you have a low FM ratio, you're, uh, they're kind of losing their mobility and, um, uh, and they're forming a good flock for settling, 
But if it gets too low, you get these weird uh, filamentous uh, bacteria grows and it settles slowly, and that becomes a mess as well. So you can see that in all of these parameters, there tends to be this kind of optimum space that you want to be in for your process, which changes hourly. So SRT is the number of days that microorganisms are maintained in an activated flood process. You might hear other terms like mean cell resistance time or sludge age. And basically, um, all of those are slightly different formulas getting at kind of that same idea of, of time. Of, of, is, is, my, is my sludge, uh, is, it, is it in the process long enough for bacterial growth? Um, is the activated flood process maintaining a good time or is the entire wastewater plant looking at a time? Some of them look at just the activated flood. Some of them look at what's coming in to the plant and adding that into the formula. And some of them add in kind of the plant effluent um, or subtract that from the total number. But um, regardless of those, of those variables, flood retention time um, is looking at that number of days. Um, and uh, uh, so we want to know, are the bugs, do they have enough time to reproduce and maintain the population? And uh, to further complicate matters, um, different processes require uh, different ages. And so um, SRT selection will really impact that process performance, the flood production, and the oxygen requirements. Um, uh, and as you know, Ben's going to talk about later. As you dial that in, then you're kind of you're you're really kind of um, uh, um, managing your process more effectively and your oxygen more effectively. So it's dependent on uh, a number of different processing conditions. Uh, each of the uh, bacteria has a different SRT, and uh, that is affected also by the temperature of the uh, process water. So as the temperatures go up and down seasonally, your SRT um, objective goes up and down accordingly. So here you can see uh, the different processes and kind of what a general optimum SRT would look like um, with nitrification being four to eight days, denite uh, 10 to 15 days, your phosphorus removal kind of five to 12 days, and then the silt settling and the, and the treatment of the sludge kind of depends on your process goals, your permitting, and that sort of thing. Uh, you are shooting for um, whatever processes you're doing in the plant. Say you are doing just nitrification, denitrification, you're going to shoot for that 10 to 15 days because that's the longest time in that whole process um, to get your denitrification uh, bacteria up to um, uh, the right population size and health. So, uh, SRT, um, generally, um, increase the loading. Uh, if it's too high, increase your, ox your oxygen requirements go up, your energy consumption goes up, and you increase this kind of sludge bulking. If it's too low, you get um, incomplete or insufficient treatment. Uh, you got higher chemical uses, because now you got to supplement it. Poor settling, um, so you might get some uh, overflow into the uh, um, into the effluent and you get a higher sludge production uh, optimum um, you have long enough to support your processes with some comfort with a little bit of wiggle room in there is what you're looking for the uh, SVI is generally measured on a flutometer which is uh, basically a large um, uh, um, a cylinder, graduated cylinder, uh, you are, um, uh, you're indicating the condition of that activated sludge in your aeration basin and clarifiers. Generally, the process is you're filling it up to the leader and you're timing um, the settling process and you're looking for how much settled in a specific amount of time, and that's your SVI. Um, these uh, uh, SVIs are used to kind of track characteristics and settling rates of the plant. So it's uh, okay if I have an SVI, say, of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of 60 or whatever it is, uh, 
you know, I, um, and everything is running great, that's kind of what you're shooting for. Um, but you know, you're generally looking for an SVI that um, uh, that uh, tracks the characteristics of your plant. Um, problematic settling, as you get, you know, you could have slow settling. You can see floating solids. You can see it settle too quick without flocculation. You'll be able to notice that in the um, uh, when you're doing the SVI test. Um, but it's also time too. So after you know, whatever it is, I think it's 30 minutes uh, when you're done, then um, uh, you just measure that difference. So, Shannon, I'm going to send it back to you for the poll question. Thanks, Steve. Uh, so, I'm going to launch a first, our first poll here. This is just a quick question. Um, which activated sludge parameters do you routinely monitor? Please select all that apply. And I'll give you a few minutes to complete this here, or a few seconds. Okay, looks like we still have just a few votes coming in. All right, um, here's the results. Looks like we've got a lot of uh, MLSS and sludge settleability. All right, and moving on with Ben. All right, yeah, uh, if you could pass me the, oh, maybe I do have it. All right, can you guys see my screen? Yes. Perfect. All right, so thanks for that uh, The beginning half, Steve. Uh, next, I'll be taking us into part three of our webinar, in which we will get more into detail about uh, solid inventory control strategies. Okay, so I'm going to be going over five different strategies for solids control. Uh, but before we hop into those, I want to mention that I would, uh, what I would consider to be the two most important aspects of the solids control ideology. So if you're going to take uh, one new piece of information home with you, uh, this would be it. The first, uh, the first is that all of these solids control strategy, strategies are designed around maintaining a consistent and optimal uh, solids retention time for the facility. Meaning that with all of these different variables and equations and instrumentation, the end goal is really just to maintain SRT, which again means that we want to leave those bugs, you know, the nitrifiers, the denitrifiers, uh, in the activated sludge system for the correct amount of time uh, to maintain their population. The second point I'd like to reiterate is that all of these uh, is that all of these control strategies are designed around controlling a single process, which is that which is the rate of waste activated sludge. Waste activated sludge is the control point. So this is where we can either decrease our bug population by removing sludge from the process, or we can increase our bug population by rerouting more sludge through return activated sludge and then back into the aeration basins. <clears throat> All right, so these are the control strategies I'll be covering. First, we're going to start with, set, uh, with setting a manual waste activated sludge rate. This is probably the most commonly used strategy across wastewater treatment plants. Uh, this is basically just manually adjusting the waste, wasting rate based on sludge characteristics, estimated sludge quantity, and the prior experience of operators. The issue with this strategy is that it often does not yield consistent results. Manual control can lead to very inconsistent SRT and could be quite inefficient. As the res uh, one of the issues that can uh, come along with this is that the response to changing conditions can be slow uh, and overcorrection is pretty likely uh, in these situations. So with the help of instrumentation and control solutions, 
we can actually vastly improve our activated sludge performance by directly controlling waste activated sludge using several different strategies like uh, hydraulic control, FM ratio, uh, MLSS control, and even a uh, direct SRT control. Okay, so let's start with hydraulic control. Hydraulic control of SRT is a simple, cheap, and real-time means to calculating wasting rates. The idea here is to calculate your waste flow using only known flow and volumes. So taking a look at this equation, we can calculate our wasting rate with just a few variables, which we can plug directly into the equation and input our desired SRT, and then we can change our wasting rate accordingly. This strategy greatly simplifies the determination of a wasting rate, but it does not take into account other variables such as our MLSS, our RAS TSS concentrations, or, or, or our organics loading. Also, since there are no MLSS measurements involved, there's really no feedback on if our, in, on if our changes to the wasting rate are actually influencing or maintaining our solids at a good level. So although this method, method can be effective, there are better strategies for wasting. And, if you, and that's if you have the instrumentation and controls available. So now let's take a look at how we can control SRT with FM ratio. First, taking a look at our equation, we can see what constitutes our food and our microorganisms. The food is of course the incoming BOD and multiplying that with the incoming flow will give you the rate of our incoming food. Next is our microorganisms, which will be our mixed liquor volatile suspended solids or MLVSS. Again, this is our portion of the MLSS that is actively performing the BOD removal, or nitrification, et cetera. Multiplying this by the volume of our, our aeration tanks, we can get the total MLVSS of our system. When controlling with FM ratio, we'll be able to control our wasting rate to maintain a FM ratio set point. So if we calculate our FM ratio at a given time, we can either raise our FM ratio by increasing the wasting rate or lower our FM ratio by decreasing the wasting rate. So what is a good FM ratio to control to? Well, this would be very dependent on your own system and there should be a good degree of experiment experimentation to find out ex what exactly works best. However, the table here is a pretty good starting point. A low FM ratio between 0.05 to 0.15 can typically be used for extended aeration practices. A range from 0.25 to 0.5 can be used for standard activated sludge. And then high rate activated sludge likes higher rates uh, of FM ratios from one to 10. So you may notice that we don't really, uh, we don't really talk about SRT when discussing FM ratio, but it is very, very, but it is very related to FM ratio. So if you are maintaining a consistent FM ratio, then your SRT will also be consistent. The next strategy we'll talk about is MLSS control, which is actually very simple. Here we are essentially controlling the solids content within our aeration basins to a set point. We have an online TSS measurement uh, for MLSS in the aeration basins with a desired uh, mixed liquor suspended solid set point. In this case, let's say 2,500 milligrams per liter uh, TSS. If this TSS sensor was reading below 2,500, then, we'll we, then we will decrease our WAS flow or waste activated sludge flow uh, to divert more solids back to the aeration ba basins. However, if our reading is above 2,500 milligrams per liter, then we will increase our wa waste activated sludge flow to divert more solids to waste instead. Usually we can add in other factors such as sludge settleability to ensure that we are not or drastically affecting sludge characteristics. Oh, I accidentally went on. Okay, so this method can be effective in maintaining a consistent SRT, uh, but the downfall is that you are still leaving some variables out like our incoming BOD, uh, or incoming flow. Uh, because of this, the SRT can change uh, even when you might be maintaining a constant MLSS. All right, now onto our final strategy, uh, direct SRT control. 
in which we have all of the instrumentation needed to calculate SRT in real time. Usually, that will mean, that will mean we have a TSS sensor in the aeration basin uh, for our MLSS measurement, a TSS sensor in our return activated sludge to measure solids concentration uh, returning to the basin, a flow meter on our wasting line, and of course, we will already know the volume of our tanks. To describe direct SRT control in the simplest terms, instead of calculating SRT in real time, we will instead use the equation to calculate a sludge wasting rate in real time based on an, in, an input of our desired SRT. So over the next few slides, I'm gonna go through an example of how this is done uh, with, with some uh, example numbers. So the most basic way to look at it uh, SRT is a ratio between the solids currently within the system and the solids that are leaving the system through waste activated sludge. So here we have that ratio uh, with the solids within the system in blue and then the solids leaving the system in green. So now we will enter in the variables that are involved in calculating, calculating SRT. The top part of the equation again resemble, or represents the solids within the system. So we have our total tank volume multiplied by the mixed liquor suspended solids. Then the solids leaving the system, we can calculate with our wasting rate multiplied by the uh, return activated sludge TSS. One thing I wanna note is that I have uh, return activated sludge TSS because this is usually where the sensor is placed, uh, but it is assumed that the TSS in the uh, return activated sludge and the TSS in the waste activated sludge lines are the same. Uh, so we use it as our solids concentration for uh, leaving the system. All right, so let's plug in some numbers and, and uh, calculate our SRT here. Uh, so the volume of our tanks is four mg or a million gallons. Our MLSS is 2,500 milligrams per liter TSS. Our sludge wasting rate is 0 0.1 mgd. And then our RAS TSS is 9,000 uh, milligrams per liter TSS. Uh, usually the solids in our return line are gonna be uh, quite a bit higher than our MLSS because these solids are being pumped from the bottom of the clarifier. Moving those into, our, into the equation, uh, we can then uh, solve for our SRT, which comes out to 11.1 days. So it seems pretty simple, right? Uh, well, I did simplify it down as much as possible previously uh, for the purposes of this webinar example, uh, but I think it does a good job of still conveying the idea of what goes into calculating SRT. Now, if our goal is to control for a desired SRT, we're going to need to calculate the required sludge wasting rate. So to do so, we can then rearrange the equation uh, where we are solving for QW instead, which really only means QW and SRT are gonna switch spots. Uh, so I have done that here in the, bottom, in the bottom example. So now let's say we have the same operating conditions, but now we want to change our wasting rate so that we decrease our SRT from 11.1 .1 days down to five days. Again, we just pop these numbers into our equation and insert five days into that SRT value. Now solving for QW, we get a wasting rate of 0.22 MGD. And this makes sense in that if we are increasing our wasting rate, that means we are sending less solids back to the aeration basins through our RAS lines. And thus the solids will be spending less time in the activated sludge system and the population will decrease. So what type of benefits can direct SRT control bring to a wastewater facility? Well, let's take a look at a plant that went directly from manual wasting to SRT control. Looking at the graph at the right, we can see a wildly fluctuating SRT between eight and 22 days. Uh, with this, uh, and with this usually comes the potential for over and under treating, and it usually leads to a waste of energy, and it's also time, uh, it's also time consuming to do the, the manual wasting as you have to assess the conditions and then decide what you wanna set it at. Now, after they implemented SRT control, you can see that they maintain a very consistent SRT that matches their set point and can even be changed to whatever the operator wants. 
The benefits of the, this plant we'll see with the consistent SRT is automated wasting, which can save the operator time. Uh, the operator can accurately change their SRT for seasonal purposes or just for fine adjustments. Also with a consistent SRT, you can mostly, or you can importantly see optimization of the activated sludge system, which means you'll have more consistent nitrification, denitrification, uh, bio-P removal, uh, better sludge characteristics, such as less foaming, uh, better settling, and then uh, more consistent settleability. So as an example, uh, we can take a look at an experiment in which the sludge sl settleability of two plants were compared, one with automated SRT control and the other with uncontrolled SRT. After some initial adjustments, plant A with SRT control showed much more consistent sludge sell settleability over the course of the experiment uh, in comparison to the uncontrolled plant B. The SVI was consistently lower and very much less with plant, plant A, usually staying within the range of 125 to around 250 SVI. Meanwhile, plant B was wildly inconsistent with their SVI, showing ranges from 475 down to 175. And they even had several days where settleability jumped a few hundred either up or down. Eventually, plant B adopted the same control strategy and were able to see improvements in their SRT as well. All right, so now on for our final section, uh, online instrumentation for optimizing activated sludge. So why, YSI IQ SensorNet has many sensors that can help optimize activated sludge. It is the most common place where we, where we use our sensors. We have sensors to monitor the living and breathing part of the activated sludge, like DO, ORP, and PH. We have sensors which can measure the results of this process. So that would be like our nutrient sensors and analyzers. And then we have the sensors that can help us monitor and control the solids within the activated sludge. And those would be these sensors I'm going to talk about uh, in the next couple slides. The optical TSS sensor, our UV-Vis sensor for organics, uh, such as COD and BOD, uh, the sludge level sensors, and then of course, flow meters. So let's first take a look at our optical TSS sensor, the Visolid 700. This sensor is often used in the activated sludge basins, either in the anoxic or aerobic zones. The, uh, the TSS measurement use, used here to get a measurement of our mixed liquor suspended solids. This MLSS measurement can be used to control for solids process parameters, such as solids retention time, FM ratio, or you can just use it to control for an MLSS set point. Additionally, TSS sensors can be used to get an indication of the solids concentration in our return activated sludge and waste activated sludge lines, uh, which is required for direct SRT control. All right, next we have our UV-Vis sensors called the CarboVis, um, which can measure organic parameters such as BOD, COD, TOC, and UVT-254. This sensor is great for, or, for monitoring the BOD load that's coming into your activated sludge basins and can also help uh, monitor or control the FM ratio of your system. Many customers also use this sensor as a means to get trending data on their organics loading and to grease, decrease their frequency on traditional BOD or COD testing. Next, we have our sludge level monitoring sensors. Uh, ours is called the IFL 700. Uh, this sensor is typically used in uh, secondary clarifiers to monitor sludge level. Although the sensor is not often used as a control, uh, it can provide accurate 24-7 monitoring of that sludge blanket, which can protect you against emergencies, uh, provide continuous trending, and decrease your, resi uh, your reliance on that uh, manual sludge judge measurement. And then finally, we have our MJK magmeters which is not part of IQ SensorNet, but it can be tied into the system uh, using a 4 to 20 milliamp signal. This magmeter can provide the flow data you need on your uh, return activated sludge and waste activated sludge, uh, which can then help you control for an SRT or for uh, uh, hydraulic control as well. All right, and then on to our second poll question of the day. So we're bringing uh, Shannon back in. 
Thank you, Ben. Our second poll question today is which online sensors do you use at your facility for activated sludge monitoring? And you can, oh, it says please select one. Sorry about that. It should be please select all that apply. I guess you only get one option. You have to choose. I thought I fixed that. <laughs> Or you pick your favorite? I guess so. Sorry, guys. <laughs> okay, let's see here. All right, let's try that again. I fixed it. <clears throat> oh, should be able to select more than one now. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> All right, <clears throat> so let's share the results here. So electromagnetic flow meters looks like has the highest percentage. <laughs> yeah, not too, uh, not too surprising on that one. Um, yeah, technology for uh, for sensors for online like BOD and COD sensors are starting to get and in even the online uh uh oh the online sludge level sensors are uh starting to become very or a lot more advanced and reliable. So I'm sure hopefully people will be using them a lot more in the future. All right. We're moving on to the QA now. Uh I have a couple more slides. Oh, okay. All right, so should be able to see my uh, screen again. Yes. All right, cool. All right, uh, so I did want to mention that uh, all of the sensors that we uh, that were shown today are part of YSI's IQ SensorNet, uh, which is our plant-wide wastewater monitoring system. Uh, IQ SensorNet has a robust uh, wastewater has robust wastewater sensors for all types of processes, from influence uh, to an activated sludge system. Uh, systems, uh, the effluent, and many more. Uh, with IQ SensorNet, you can monitor parameters throughout your entire activated sludge system with a single controller, uh, which can be networked to include up to 20 sensors on a single system. And all of the data collected with an IQ SensorNet system can easily be sent to your SCADA, uh, which can then control for things like aeration or your sludge wasting. And to finish up here, I would like to uh, give you guys a couple of take-home points uh, that I hope you'll remember about solids control. So the first one, uh, activated sludge parameters are all related, meaning maintaining one parameter will improve performance of the others and uh, in the activated sludge system as a whole. All solid, uh, the second one is all solids control strategies are maintained by regulating the waste activated sludge rate. Uh, so that waste activated sludge is the control point to, to which we can maintain or de increase or decrease the amount of bugs in the system. And then instrumentation is an effective tool in the, optimi the optimization uh, of sludge wasting and the activated sludge parameters. So instrumentation is extremely important to making all of this happen. All right, and that's it. Uh, so don't forget, we have a bunch of great material on our website uh, that can help you learn about wastewater instrumentation, uh, such as our newest blog post, uh, five questions to ask when selecting a UV vis sensor. Uh, so feel free to reach out to Steve or I with any questions you may have about activated sludge, uh, instrumentation, or anything else really. And now I'll bring, uh, I'll bring Shannon back to start that Q&A. All right, thanks, Ben. Uh, before we get started on the Q&A, I just wanted to go over some information quickly on the CEUs again. Throw up a slide here. Can everyone see my screen? 
Yep. Okay. So um, if you're interested in CEUs, YSI is an accredited provider for the International Creditors for Continuing Education and Training, or the IACET, and this session is eligible for 0.1 CEU credit hours. Um, we cannot guarantee acceptance by your local board, organization, regulatory agency, um, so we strongly encourage you to check with those entities to confirm that they accept IACET credit. Um, and in order to meet the requirements to receive a certificate, you must complete the following, attend the full presentation, which you did already, um, submit a request for CEUs, which you may have done at registration. If not, you will get more uh, further instructions in an email. And like I mentioned at the beginning of the webinar, you must pass a short multiple choice knowledge quiz with a score of 100%. Um, and there'll be information on that as well in the post-webinar email. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me. And we can go ahead and start the Q&A here. Uh, kick it off with a question for Steve or a few questions for Steve. Uh, solids inventory, does solids inventory include clarifier solids? So, uh, so it can. Uh, I think Steve is still uh, muted, <laughs> uh, but I can answer that question. Um, so solids inventory can include clar clarifier solids. Uh, one of the things that I've uh, seen, or it depends on what you're trying to do really. Um, so some people do include it, but some people don't. Uh, lot, some of the thought behind not including it is that it doesn't actually do anything as far as activated sludge. So it's, uh, it's, it basically just sits there in the clarifier and then is either wasted or sent back into the rat or sent back into the, uh, back into the aeration basins through the return activated sludge. So um, usually it, it doesn't really need to be, but sometimes they, sometimes it is included. I don't know if Steve has uh, more to include on that. No, yeah, Ben, that's basically what I was going to say. It's kind of indirectly part of that process, but it's, added to the kind of the formula really based off of what's returned or wasted, um, you know, not so much what's happening in the clarifier. Yep. Thanks guys. Um, I have a question. If we are only interested in biological solids, why do the primary clarifier effluent solids matter? Um, it's, it's, it matters because that's your BOD source um, is, is it's what's coming out. And when you think of it, it's, you know, your primary, secondary, and tertiary treatments. It's the effluent of the first part of the plant and, and, and that process coming into your um, activated sludge process is providing the, uh, the BOD or the, or the food really to make that happen. Um, Ben, if you have any other things to comment on. Yeah, yeah, I would uh, I would agree with that. It's uh yeah, it's the it's the BOD that we're we're either using in the activated sludge process or we're basically trying to get rid of. So it kind of has to be part of the equation because it's being, you know, brought in with that BOD. Yeah. The solids part of it kind of gets mixed in with the solids number in your aeration, you know, in your pounds of solids. For your SRT number, um, so uh, you know there's a lot yeah. happening on that primary effluent coming in. Um, part of it is you know your solids and, and part of that solids inventory that yep. just gets mixed in with the other stuff, and part of it's the food that's coming in. Yep, I mean math mathematically, it is part of the mixed liquor suspended solids. It may not necessarily be part of the mixed liquor volatile suspended solids, though. So right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Okay. Um, when you refer to SRT, are you calculating at all the aeration basins or just the aerobic ones? Uh, so I can take that one. Uh, so the one, the what I went over today was more of the total SRT. So that would in, in, be across all of the, the entire activated sludge system. Um, there are different ways you can calculate SRT and it depends on uh, there, you can either calculate like just your aerobic SRT and then just calculate your anoxic SRT. And that'll, those will be percentages of your total SRT. So if your volume for uh, 
if your volume or your flow actually or your volume or flow is say 50 percent uh is 50 of your vo total volume is aerobic then 50 percent of your total srt is going to be that aerobic srt so it is a portion and you can calculate it different ways i just happen to i pick the kind of the most simplest version of it so it gets it only gets more complicated from there <laughs> Okay, uh, what is the TSS range on the 700 IQ and how is it calibrated? Uh, so the range, uh, there's, it's actually a calibrated uh, factory with two different uh, algorithms. The one is for activated sludge, so like we have here. Uh, and the other one is for, uh, is for I believe it's for like a primary effluent um, type of water. Uh, but for activated sludge, the range is from zero to 40,000, I believe. Um, with, uh, and usually that can be, uh, that can be calibrated with a correction factor. So basically you're taking a lab TSS measurement, you're, uh, and you're adjusting your TS, your optical or your YSI TSS measurement. You're, uh, using her, that single lab measurement to, as a correction factor to adjust, uh, to that lab value. Okay, let's see here. How does a too high waste activated sludge rate tend to mess up the plant? So a, a too, if you have too high of a waste activated sludge rate, if you're, if you're continually wasting too much activated, or uh, wasting the, the solids from the bottom of your clarifier uh, and not sending any solids back through your return activated sludge to the aeration basins, eventually all of that solids that are in your aeration basins are gonna start keep coming down the line, gonna be settled in your clarifier, and then it's gonna go through waste activated sludge and then out of completely out of the activated sludge system. So essentially what you're doing is if you have too high of a waste activated sludge rate, is you are decline, declining the, uh, or you're decreasing the population of your bugs that are able to do all the processes that processes that you want them to do. Um, so you may not be able to fully nitrify because you don't have enough nitrifiers, may not have enough uh, denitrifiers, um, or uh, yeah, to to accomplish what you want to accomplish. So uh, you need to find the right, the correct waste activated sludge rate um, in order to maintain the correct amount of solids in your uh, activated sludge. Okay, uh, we have time for one more. It looks like several questions came in, so we will follow up with you after the webinar if we didn't get to your question today. Uh, the last question, what is the range on the BOD-COD sensor? Hmm. I don't know, I don't know if I know that one off the top of my head. Uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I'm not sure off the top of my head. Steve, any? Uh... Yeah, it uh, it depends, right? So, um, yep. so bio, and it kind of depends on um, uh, the path length and things like that because path length determines the range. But generally, if you've got the um, uh, uh, the higher path length, you're getting um, you know a uh, uh, you know more accurate, more precise, but but less of a range. So, say for example, BOD, which is what we're talking about. Um, where uh, uh, the smaller path length is getting us into about 8,000 milligrams per liter, and the um, uh, larger path length is about 2,500 milligrams per liter uh, as BOD. So, you know, COD, soluble total, POCs, all of those things vary because there's slightly different algorithms that are used, but um, kind of bringing it into the discussion at point, we're generally talking about BODs. So um, uh, a, um, uh, a 701 kind of would have a, uh, um, you know, with the, uh, the effluent, which is a much lower path length, we kind of have, sorry, that 2,500 to 8,000 when it's in or effluent. And the 705, which is generally effluent and is generally measured kind of at the, um, you know, uh, at UV disinfection, that sort of thing, about up to 500 
BOD, milligrams per liter BOD. So um, again, it depends on where it is in the plant, the path length that you use to uh, um, to get the right range. Cool. Well, thanks, guys. Uh, that brings us to the end of the hour. Like I said, we had several questions coming in um, that we will follow up on post webinar. <clears throat> And keep an eye out for an email with CEU information and a link to the recording. And feel free to reach out to anyone on the team with any questions. Thanks, everyone, for attending. And have a great day. Thanks, Thanks guys. You.